Good morning. If I were to start a story with once upon a time, how would everyone expect that story to end? It's a valid question. If I were to start a story with once upon a time, how would you guys expect it to end? They lived happily ever after. How many times does this actually happen in life? (laughs) How many times does this actually even happen in the scope of the Bible? We can maybe think of one example in the Old Testament, Job. But even then, we just get a quick snapshot at the end of his life where he had more kids and his riches were reinstated. And yes, that was a blessing, but he still went through the stress of the day-to-day. He still struggled with the day-to-day. But to me, that's the one that comes up with they lived happily ever after, as close as possible. But you know, there's beauty in Scripture because of that. Because God decides not to cover up the bad things that his people do or how the people that serve him are still human and God still loves them and is able to use them in amazing ways in spite of their limitations. And before we jump into John, I want to give two quick examples of this, uh, well-known examples, especially in the Old Testament. Let's take Moses, who was born into this crazy time where his people are slaves to Pharaoh. And not just that, Pharaoh just sent out a decree to kill all the babies, all the male babies. Yeah, he was born into this time. His life is at risk. His parents put him in a basket, ship him downriver, hoping for the best. And he gets a, who gets a hold of him? Pharaoh's daughter. What a great setup to end, and he lived happily ever after, wouldn't it? As we know, or for those that, that know the story well, that's not what goes down. Yes, there are blessings He's still raised by his parents, and many people are many people believe he was raised until he was about four years of age. Because when he turns 40, he sees an Egyptian guard uh, fighting a slave and striking a slave. And Moses steps in, killing the Egyptian guard, hiding his body in the sand. The next day he's found out. So what does he do? He runs to the wilderness. And there he's a shepherd. You're like, okay, so maybe he simplified his life and now you can live happily ever after, right? Nope. Once he turns 80, God calls him to go and free his people, which um, if we read in the Old Testament, I think it's the worst road trip in the history of all humanity. (laughs) 40 years in the wilderness with insatiable, grumpy, and complaining people. And all of this to get to the end of the promised land, to seeing it, just having to cross a river, and him knowing that he can't cross. He has to pass away. Another person that comes to mind is King David being the smallest and the most neglected out of his family, where when Samuel asked, do you have any more sons? They're like, oh yeah, there's David. He's around here somewhere. Where is he? Right? And he's anointed as king. What a great setup once more for them to live happily ever after. But as we see through David's life, that was just the start of his problems. Things just got a lot worse from that moment onward. The the actual king who then becomes his father-in-law is out to kill him. So he's on the run. He's constantly at war fighting the Philistines. And uh, when he finally actually gets to rule, him being neglected as a father cost him most of his family. And even at the end of his life, when he's almost on his deathbed, he decides to do what? Take a census, which may angers God and has him for one day fall under God's wrath. A man that could have had everything set up to live happily ever after, and he didn't. But once more, it's a good thing for us because we can learn from these examples. So I would like to start reading Jonah 
But I want to read chapter 3, verse 10. And check this out. I'll, I'll give everyone just a chance to turn there. So Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. This is the word of God. When God saw their actions, they turned from their evil way of living. God relented concerning the judgment he had threatened them with. He did not destroy them. Wouldn't it be great if the book of Jonah ended right here? Wouldn't that be the perfect happily ever after? Jonah gets up and he, he phones it in as we saw last week. <laughs> what Steve told us, it was five words in, in the Hebrew language. And this whole, everybody repented. But unfortunately for us, that's not where the story ends. So let's see what how Jonah reacts. And uh, let's see how, how this is a mirror, not just of Jonah, not just of the nation of Israel at a certain historic time, but of modern day church, maybe even of ourselves. And what are the lessons that we can learn from Jonah's shortcomings? So let's read chapter four. This displeased Jonah terribly. And he became very angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, th this is what I said. Oh Lord, this is just what I thought would happen when I was in my own country. This is what I tried to prevent by attempting to escape to Tarshish. Because I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in mercy, and one who relents concerning threatened judgment. So now, Lord, kill me instead, because I would rather die than live. The Lord said, are you really so very angry? Jonah left the city and sat down east of it. He made a shelter for himself there and sat down there, sat under it in the shade to see what would happen to the city. Stop here. Let's, uh, let's pray. Dear God and Heavenly Father, we are, we're thankful, Lord, that this morning we get to come here. We get to, to praise your name. But we also get to spend time in your word. And we know that we're blessed because we have to its full completion. And we're blessed because you do not sugarcoat anything that happened in the Old or New Testament, God. And as we're going to see that many times you have these uh, narratives here as a warning to us and as a way for us to self-reflect. And God, we just ask that through the story of Jonah, that we can be less like Jonah and more like you. Lord, just thank and ask all of this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Last week, um, when um, Steve preached, he said how the book of Jonah was a mirror. And he, he specifically said a mirror to the church. And this is something that I have been thinking about for quite some time now. Um, one, because it's one of Iris's favorite bedtime stories. So we read it quite often. But it, it's one that's quite shocking. Because Jonah, after seeing God's mercy and God's love, forgetting about how much he has been merciful, God has been more merciful towards him. What does he do? Chapter five, uh, verse five, sorry. He, we read that he left the city and he sat down east of it, made a shelter for himself there and sat down under the shade to see what would happen to the city. He just simply sat back and was hoping that God would destroy the city. He sat back and he waited for the judgment to happen. How is this a reflection of the modern day church? Back in the early 2000s, this just, made me sound really old, but back in the early 2000s, at least in, in Portugal, I'm going to be speaking of uh, personal experience. There was this huge boom of talking about the end of times. 
It might have been also because of the Left Behind series that, that was just fresh off the presses and everyone was just jumping onto that bandwagon. So there were a lot of sermons on Revelations, on Daniel, on Second Thessalonians, on all of these well-known chapters. And there was one that had never kind of left my, my mind because of just how weird I thought it was and the, the twist that was given. And it was on Revelations chapter 20. And it started, they used the, the great white throne. I'm going to read that portion for everybody. It says the following. Then I saw a large white throne and the one who was seated on it. The earth and the heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. I saw the dead, the great and the small standing before the throne. Then books were opened and another book was opened, the book of life. So the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to their deeds. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in it. And each one was judged according to his deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, that person was thrown into the lake of fire. And I remember more than one person speaking on this, on this part in Revelations and saying for many Christians, this would be a bittersweet moment. Bitter because they would see loved ones and other people that they knew throughout their life being cast out to hell, but sweet because we would see God finally enact his judgment upon the sinners and upon people. And I know that might be true, but there is something that I feel like the church has done from the early 2000s onward which was kind of used that as a weapon. It kind of used that to take a step back. When we think about the church or when the world thinks about the church nowadays, do they think about the people that actually preach the word of God? Is that the public image of the church, big capital C? Is the public image of the church currently those that are loving and are willing to serve? Because for many years, that was a public image of the church. For many years, people saw the church as a sanctuary. As a place that they could come to, to feel protected, to feel safe. Is that what we allow the church to be today with our own actions and with our own attitudes? I say this because it always shocked me how my grandparents decided to come to Christ. They were Catholic. They were devout Catholics. And uh, my grandfather on my mother's side of the family, he was talking with his friend at the barbershop saying, hey, this Protestant church just opened up. And from what I hear, they actually read from the Bible and they give everybody a Bible. Do you want to go and see what they're talking about? And out of their curiosity for finally being able to read the Bible, they went. Being able to check, fact check what the preacher was saying, they went. And they accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. My grandparents, my grandfather's side, from my father's side, sorry, something similar happened where um, they were going to present my aunt at the time who had been born. We were going to do the christening of her. And the, the priest said, oh, we've updated the Bible and some of our other, uh, biblical, other books. So we're going to use these new books in the ceremony. He thought, update the Bible? What are you guys talking about? Isn't it supposed to be absolute truth? And that led him to going to the Protestant church because they actually preach from the Bible. They teach the truth that's in it. And that's what led him to accepting Christ and his whole family as well. Steve, when you said that Jonah is a snapshot of the church, doesn't it feel, if we're being honest with ourselves, that the church for a while now has been sitting back, 
just waiting for judgment to happen. That's how the world kind of views the church in, in today's light. And I'm not trying to be political here. I really am not. But the way that many Christians have acted publicly, it has given this, this idea that we're judgmental, we're grumpy people that hate people of the world. And that's not what God wants. And as, as we saw in the book of Jonah, that's not what God represents and not who God is. And Steve said something else last week, which I'm just, just building off of what Steve said, that many times scripture is a, a mirror of ourselves. And I find Jonah being a mirror of myself. And I will give you guys a uh, personal experience of something similar uh, to this that happened in my life. It was about three years ago, and somebody close to me passed away. And um, I remember at the time, uh, shortly after his passing, uh, talking to family and friends, they said, hey, we have good news for you. This person, about a week before they passed, they accepted Christ as their savior. And I felt so conflicted. And I had one of these moments that Jonah had where I was yelling at God and asking God, how, why, why such a cop out? Somebody who throughout most of my life verbally abused me because of my faith. Somebody who would go out of their way to, to try to sabotage the things that we were doing. Go out of my way to just put down and ridicule and just show no support whatsoever. And now just a week before, just a week before he goes, he's saved like it was nothing. And everyone's like, oh, you just have to forget everything that went on beforehand. And it was hard. Just like Joe and I had this moment where, yeah, it wasn't very mature. I'll be very honest. But you know what the thing is with God? When you bring something to him, you got to be ready because he's going to answer. And boy, did God have an answer for me. Um, there were a few passages he put into my heart, but the one that, that really stood out was in Matthew. Matthew chapter 20, the first 16 verses. So says the word of God. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for, for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the workers, the standard wage or a denarius or a day's wage, depending on your translation, he sent them into his vineyard. When it was about nine o'clock in the morning, he went out again and saw others standing around in the marketplace without work. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and I will give you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again, about noon and three o'clock that afternoon, he did the same thing. And about five o'clock that afternoon, he went out and found others standing around and said to them, why are you standing here all day without work? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you go and work in the vineyard too. When it was evening, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the workers and give the pay starting with the last hired until the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each received the full day's pay. And when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more. But each one also received the standard wage. When they received it, they began to complain against the landowner, saying, These last fellows worked one hour, and you have made them equal to us who bore the hardships and burning heat of the day. 
The land order replied to one of them, friend, I'm not treating you unfairly. Didn't you agree with me to work for the standard wage? Take what is yours and go. I want to give to this last man the same as I gave to you. Am I not permitted to do what I want with those who belong to me? Are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Whereas many people would focus on this last part, that's not where God had me focus when I was going through this, um, this portion in my life. He had me look at the parable as a metaphor for the day-to-day. And whereas this person did pass away a week before the, they uh, did accept the Christ a week before they passed, I have accepted Christ since a teenager. And that led to a lot of blessings in my life where I was actually able to work for the Lord. And something that God reminded me was, whereas other people are stressing about their future, since a very early age, I had promises to me from God that we read in the Bible that I would have eternal life, that there were blessings for being a child of God. And better than all that, there are blessings in serving God. And I got to thinking about all the crazy things that I was able to accomplish through God and through serving him. When I was in my early 20s, I, I started a mime ministry. And um, being living in the top of a mountain, in the middle of a land where nobody really knows who we are, we were able to go into live television and use that to preach the gospel. Use a mime ministry to pe- preach the gospel on live television during prime time. Not just that, even though uh, Protestantism is a little bit more accepted right now in Portugal, because it's mostly Catholic, we weren't allowed to go to Catholic schools and preach and perform. And they allowed us to actually talk afterwards and preach the gospel message, something which is not normal. I was also able to be a part of a band, a band that was able to work side by side with Team Challenge. And for those of you that are not familiar, Team Challenge is a ministry that started in New York to help homeless people and people that are um, struggling with drug abuse and to rehabilitate them and to not just wean them off of the drugs, but to give them a job, to help them find work, but more important than all of that, to bring them to Christ. And we got to see many lives transformed working side by side with that ministry. Yes, was it hard? Did, did it feel like a cop-out at times to myself personally? It did. But I forgot, much like Jonah forgot. We are not just, we're not forced to serve God. It's a privilege that we have to serve God. We are privileged in that way that we can use our gifts and our talents that he has given us since birth or that we have acquired along the the years to serve him, to further his message of love, to further his message of mercy. Let's continue to read in Jonah the rest of the chapter. Starting once more in verse 5 onward. Jonah left the city and sat down east of it. He made a shelter for himself there and sat down under it in the shade to see what would happen to the city. The Lord God appointed a little plant and caused it to grow up over Jonah, to be a shade over his head, to rescue him from his misery. Now Jonah was very delighted about the little plant. So God sent a worm at dawn next day, and it attacked the little plant so that it dried up. When the sun began to shine, God sent a hot east wind, so the sun beat down on Jonah's head. And he grew faint. So he despaired of his life. And he said, I would rather die than live. God said to Jonah, are you really so very angry about the little plant? And he said, I am as angry as I could possibly be. The Lord said, you are upset about this little plant. 
something for which you have not worked, nor did you do anything to make it grow. It grew up overnight and died the next day. Should I not be even more concerned about Nineveh, this enormous city? There are more than 120,000 people in it who do not know right from wrong, as well as many animals. It's funny the things that we get upset about in our day-to-day, -day, isn't it? Sometimes something as simple as you're having your cup of coffee and you get those grounds that, that are at the bottom of the cup. For some people, that's enough. For some people, it's just going to work and having to go into 22 and dealing with that traffic on a day-to-day -day basis. Or just something that your kids did right before you left the house or you just had a rough night. And it seems like it throws our whole day out of whack. And it seems like everything is ruined from that point onward. We're being very dramatic, aren't we? Much like, like Jonah is. But it's funny, we give importance to all those things on the day-to-day. -day, but many times, we don't give importance to the things that God gives importance to. God was more worried about these 120,000 people that were in the city, in spite of how terrible the city was which just goes to show that the people that talk about a rash, wrathful, a vengeful, horrible God in the Old Testament totally missed the picture. Because here's an example of people that are not even his people. And he's showing grace, mercy, and compassion. Not just that, though. Jonah forgot that God has been gracious and merciful with him, too. In the beginning of the story, he runs away from God as far as he can. To not have to put up with God's will. To not have to do what God wants him to do. God sends a storm to call him back. And you would think after having a near-death experience in the belly of that fish, that that would be a life-changing moment for him. That would be, all right, from this moment onward, I'm just going to serve God. I'm going to do things the right way. That's not what happens. Shortly after a great victory, the city being spared, he has a great defeat with his attitude. And to go back to the example of the church, maybe we've forgotten that much like Jonah, God has forgiven us immensely as well. Ephesians chapter 2, we read this. And although you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you formerly lived according to this world's present path, according to the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the ruler of the spirit that is now energizing the sons of disobedient, among whom all of us, also formerly lived out our lives in the cravings of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. We forget that we weren't always saved. I think the church has forgotten that, that we weren't always in God's good grace. We were just like the people of the world. Now, for some of us, like myself included, where we grew up in the pews, we might have not seen this big transformation of a before and an after like many generations before us. As we hear some of those gospel stories, some of those coming to Jesus moments that people have had in their life, and they're extraordinary. And we feel maybe ours isn't as, as impressive, or maybe God didn't really save us from anything that bad. But I would even challenge this thought. Think about the people that you grew up with. People that were your friends in when you were a teenager in school when you're in your mid-20s, and look at their life now and compare your life with their life. But many of us can point to people that have died, whether of overdose, whether of an accident for being in the wrong place in the wrong time. Other people may be arrested. And it's not hard to see by obeying God 
how he has saved us from terrible lifestyle because of people living in their own flesh and having to pay for the consequences of that. We've been forgiven much, and by obeying God, we're spared from much heartache and much problems in life. But the biggest thing is that we did nothing to deserve that other than accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Ephesians 2, 4 goes on to say, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even though we were dead in transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in his heavenly realms in Christ Jesus to demonstrate in the coming ages that surpassing wealth of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared before him so that we may do them. We were in the same boat as the people in the world are right now. But God was the one who decided to intervene. He sent his son. John 3.16 is like the perfect verse for that, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But God. God is the reason why we're standing here this morning. It's by God's grace, by God's mercy, and by God's love. And it's the same grace, mercy, and love that he wants to show the people of the world. We tend to forget the people in the world are not our enemies. They're, they're souls that are to be one for Christ. There are people who we should be preaching the gospel to because we are in the same boat as they are. And if you're here this morning and you haven't accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior, I'll tell you this right now, there's no better time. And if you think that you've done so much wrong in your life, that the minute you step foot in a church, if you're listening to this online, or, or if that's how you think, or the minute that you go to some meeting that you will like instantly combust, because I've heard a lot of people say that recently. Um, if you look at the people of Nineveh, we're not sure what their sin was. They were exceedingly violent. And many people that have studied the Bible that have studied in much greater length than I have say that beyond brutality and sexual immorality and a bunch of other things that <laughs> it's better not to say up here, God still wanted to save them. No matter how wrong you think you've done, how much wrong or how evil you think you are, God still loves you. And he still wants to save you from eternal damnation. And you don't have to do much because people think that they can buy their salvation. You can't. People think that they can do things to earn their salvation. You can't. The only thing you have to do is confess your sin to the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess him as your savior, as your personal savior. And your life will change. Will it be a happily ever after? Can't promise that but it will be a changing point in your life and it will be something great. Let's pray. Dear God, once more, we're thankful for your word, Lord. We're thankful that you don't mince your words and that you, you show us, even in the case of Jonah, how you so quick to forget his grace, your grace and mercy that you have given him. And God, we pray that, especially throughout this week, we can look for ways to show the people around us how much you love them, how much you care for them, how much you want to save them. May people, when they think of us as Christians, as believers, may not think that we are grumpy, judgmental people, but that they may see us as your sons and daughters and that we are, are willing uh, to try to win their lives for Christ. And Lord, if there's someone here this morning that hasn't accepted you as their Lord and Savior, we pray that this may be the time, that this may be the hour. Because we know that what we read in Revelations, even though it is in the future, 
We see the signs on our day-to-day with wars and rumors of wars, and we know that things are leading up to, to Christ's second coming. But God, we just pray that um, people closest to us may hear your word and accept you as the Lord and Savior. Just thank and ask all of this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.